Hello and welcome to episode 98 of Tea or Books. I'm Simon. I'm Rachel. And this is a podcast where we debate the difficult decisions of reading and books. Uh, and the difficult decisions we'll be doing this episode are nature writing, yay or nay. Uh, in the second half, we won't be doing the the two Persephones we talked about previously for reasons. <laughs> we will be doing those <laughs> in a future episode. Um, we will instead be doing a little bit of a, a sort of un- unusual, not quite tea or books situation where we will be discussing prize-winning women authors because as we record the women's prize of fiction uh, was announced yesterday i believe um by the time it's edited who knows it could have been could be in the dim and distant past <laughs> before i get on to or we get on to talking about books we've been reading recently i just want to say this as i said episode 98 episode 100 is coming up oh. we'll be doing a q a for episode 100 like we did for episode 50 so please do send in your questions to t or books at gmail.com uh, they can be about the podcast about our reading about things in the rest of our life anything you like um and we last time we were able to answer sorry ask every we asked we we asked at least one question by everyone who submitted a question, and I'm sure we'll be able to do the same again. So do send them in. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah, it should be fun. It was really fun last do we time. Have, do we have enough listeners to send us? <laughs> <laughs> well, prove prove us uh, right in hoping that we do, listeners. I, yeah, I was amazed yeah. last time actually for episode fifty how many questions were sent in, and we've got more listeners now than we had when we did episode fifty. We keep we keep climbing and climbing, Rachel. Gosh, I mean, I, I don't, I'm not privy to all these statistics, you see. So that's true. Yeah, I, I keep it, keep it the cloak of mystery, so people believe we have hundreds of thousands of listeners. That, you know, so many. <laughs> I get recognised in the street all the time. It's embarrassing. Um, uh, Rachel, how are you, and what are you reading? I'm great, thanks. I'm loving work free life. Um, yes, did you talk about that in the last episode? I can't remember. So I've got, I mean, for people who maybe missed the last episode, I am no well. I've, I'll always be a teacher in my heart. Um, but <laughs> like I'm, one is always an alcoholic. Yes, but hopefully on a <laughs> more positive. No, um, but I am taking a little bit of a break from teaching, and I'm having a year off. But a year off in my life is not really a year off. Um, I am doing a freelance job, um, and which is teaching related. And I am also starting my master's degree in mm. about three weeks' time. Uh, my second master's degree, because why not? Um, and yeah, I'm doing it in playwriting, which I'm very excited about. Just giving myself a year to be creative and just see what happens. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'm doing that. But, you know, so I've got basically, I'm going to have probably one day off a week, really, but I won't have anything that I have to do, um, which is quite nice. And, um, yeah, so I intend on doing some writing, doing lots more reading, and um, hopefully actually writing a blog post occasionally, um, which I've not been doing for the last few years, and hopefully also being a better podcast partner, actually reading the books. That <laughs> yes, I did, I did not drop in which of us had read the books you're going to do and which of us not, but long-term listeners will probably have worked out who it is. Look, it's been a busy couple of weeks. She's got a lot going on. A lot going on. Um, so, yes, I'm having a great time and I still feel like I'm bunking off and I'm being naughty when I'm out and about during the day. It's it's really interesting, actually, how, you know, I've, I've worked full time for, I don't know, the last 15 years um, since I left university. And it's just interesting to see what what happens when I'm, when normally I'm at work all day, like I'm, mm-hmm. I'm in a building. I'm not out and about on the street. And it's just interesting to see the types of people that you see and the types of conversations that you hear and the, um, yeah, the interactions that are around you that normally I just, I just don't, I don't see, I'm not witness to. And it's, it's really interesting. It's, it's kind of, sometimes I just want to sit on a bed. I've I've sat on a bench actually the last couple of times I've been out and just watched what's happening around me and seeing different demographics of people that I don't normally interact a lot with. And it's, so yeah, it's really interesting. It's interesting, and it's really nice to have the time to just be an observer, um, rather than always rushing everywhere. So I'm really enjoying that. Um, but I've also been doing lots of reading. So reading lots of big fat books at the moment. So I've just finished um, National Provincial by Lettuce Keeper, which is one of the most recent Persephone's, I think. I bought mm. it actually on the very last day 
being open in London. I, it was my souvenir purchase. Oh, uh, nice, just because they've moved to Bath, haven't they? Because they've moved to Bath, and I was a bit daunted at the thought of beginning it. And I, I, I actually never finished Letters Keeper's other Persephone book, which is The New House. Hmm. Um, I didn't. I don't know why I didn't like it. It just didn't appeal to me at the time. Um, and so I was a bit worried this wouldn't be my cup of tea. But it's very much it's very much a South Riding esque book. It's set in Yorkshire, and it's a big sweeping saga, uh, very political as well, looking at the, the Conservative versus Labour battle in the small in the city in, in Yorkshire. But it's wonderful, and it's told through the eyes of female protagonists mainly. And um, yeah, I really enjoyed it. And the pages flew by, so I really recommend that if you want an insight into the 1930s in rural England. And the reason why it's called National Provincial is because it looks at how a provincial town and the way that the politics works in a provincial town is kind of representative of the national feeling. And actually, it felt very opposite thinking about it in terms of Brexit, um, and mm-hmm. still very relevant to to now and the idea of division and. Um, misunderstandings between different groups of people and uh, divisions within groups that are supposed to have the same values and um, things like that. So, yeah, it's really interesting and, um, yeah, really enjoyable. If you like South Riding or you like Winifred Holtby, then I think that this book would be for you, for sure. Yeah, I have not read uh, South Riding or, indeed, National Venture. And it was only as you described it that I realised that I've been confusing it with, is it National Velvet? (laughs) <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who wrote that? E, begin to the E. Uh, e- Enid Bagnold. That's it. Yeah, so, no I kept expecting there. you to talk about horses and they didn't come up. Yeah. So. Yeah. I'm not a horsey reader. Uh, one of the books I'm currently reading does have a horse on the cover and I've yet to work out why, which yeah. uh, is uh, Specimen Days by Marco Cunningham. Um, and I know that you are, well, I know you love the hours. I don't know if you've read anything else by him. Um, but I read. I've read four or five of his novels now, and he's one of my favourite writers, certainly one of my favourite living writers. Specimen Days was published, I don't know, ten years ago maybe, um, and it, well, maybe not, but it's it's not not new. Uh, it's um, quite different from his other things in that it's, well, in some ways it's similar to The Hours in that it's split in, split in three sections, but rather than like The Hours where they, they all interweave, these are in three separate sections. I've just finished the first one, which is set in 19th century New York, um, about a guy who works, or a child who works in a metalworks, um, whose brother recently died there. Uh, and apparently the next two sections have the same characters, but in different lives, if that makes sense. Oh, okay, interesting. Yeah, so I, I, as I say, I've only read the first section, so I haven't seen how it works, but I flicked forward and saw they were saw the same names. So I guess they take the idea of that person and what would it be like if they had different relationships to each other in a different time and possibly different country. And I do know that the... I can't remember where the middle one is set, but the final section is set after an alien invasion. So uh, very much not my comfort zone in terms of theme, but I trust Michael Cunningham. And the first section is really beautiful. Uh, really beautifully written and very his just his way with prose is just extraordinary it does rely a lot on knowing walt whitman and i don't know any walt whitman so yeah. that, <laughs> there's a character who basically speaks in walt whitman quotes um, right which took me a while to work out was what was going on uh, i think you have to be american to know walt whitman well because it's not really something you study here no and like I'd, I'd heard of him obviously but i he yeah, from the excerpts there, it's not at all what I thought he'd be like. I guess I thought he'd be more sort of, I don't know, esque or sort of like dead, 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 sort of poetry, and it's very much not that. So, but yeah, I'm really enjoying it. Uh, there is a white horse on the cover that is has not been relevant in section one, may become relevant in sections two or three. Maybe the aliens bring him. Maybe they do. Maybe he is the alien. Maybe the he is. Horse yeah. form. Could you imagine? It's just my way of getting in through a, a side entrance, the birds versus horses episode that everyone's crying out for. <laughs> <laughs> I should say that not one person has been in touch to say that they want, to do, want us to do it. So. <laughs> um, Unsurprisingly. Yeah, I know, apparently it wasn't the crowd pleaser I thought it would be. <laughs> uh, uh, what, what else have you been reading lately? 
Um, I've just started um, The Little Friend by Donna Tartt. Mm. So I love Donna Tartt with the passion. She, I love the fact that it takes her 10 years to write a book. I'm like, that's dedication <laughs> to the craft. Um, the Secret History is one of my favourite novels. And I also really liked uh, The Goldfinch. Not as much as I love The Secret History. but um, And I've never read this, which is her second novel. Mm. Largely because lots of people say it's not very good, but no, then it was well received, was it? No, but but my thought is even an average book by John Tart is a better book than what most other people can write. Therefore, I okay. think probably people were just disappointed it wasn't you know as amazing as Secret History, but I still think it's probably amazing. I've read the first sort of fifty pages, and I think it's pretty brilliant so far. Okay. Yeah, so I'm really looking forward to. It. I mean, it's it's another six hundred page book, so I'm going to be, <laughs> but. Um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to getting into it. And it's set in Mississippi and it's all very dark and hot and sultry. And yeah, it mm. just feels appropriate for these stormy September days we're having. Yeah. yeah. What about a... you? Anything else to recommend? Yeah, well, I've just recently finished White Spines by Nicholas Royal, which I really enjoyed. And actually, just before we started recording, we were talking about Scoof Books and there's quite a lot of scoop books in it. It's, it's nonfiction. It's about his, um, obsession with collecting, collecting picador books, hence the okay. white spines, um, uh, which they published, I think between the seventies and the nineties, looking like that, which is an era of literature that I know very little about. And indeed, most of the names he mentioned weren't authors that I'd read often weren't authors I'd heard of. Uh, although he does seem to be, in some ways more of a collector than a reader. Um, he does, he, he buys up these in Picador books, even if he thinks he, even if he has no intention of reading them. And while I acknowledge that I buy books faster than I read them in my head, I'm going to read them all. Even if I mathematically, I know that's unlikely to be true. Um, but I really enjoyed it. It's quite, it's quite quirky. Uh, it, it goes all over the place after that. It's, it's sort of, um, he goes on lots of tangents and he's a really engaging person to spend time with. There's a whole section on authors who have the same name because there is another Nicholas Royal writer. And I indeed, what got them confused because I once tried to read Quilt by the other Nicholas Royal, a novel which was completely unreadable. Um, and he oh. also wrote that the other one also wrote something about the uncanny that I read during my default, but which also was, I found appalling. But, uh, but this Nicholas Royal, I'm a big fan of. Um, And indeed, I had a a similar experience myself when I read Simon Thomas's memoir about his his wife dying uh, last year. It was very disconcerting reading a book with my name as the author. Yes. I don't think um, there are many people in the world with my name. No, you're probably safe on that front. I think most of them are in Norfolk, so not in my (laughs) neck of the woods. There's a a lot of Simon Thomases in the world. Um, Yeah. It's very hard to get an email address. Uh, and a book I'm currently reading is The Warning Bell by Lynn Reed Banks. You uh, love your Lynn Reed Banks. And, well, I know we have very, very different opinions of The L-Shaped Room. I'm still hoping we'll do a proper episode on it at some point, but one of my favourite books. Uh, and I, I read a few others by her when I was maybe 18, 19, and I haven't read anything by her for a long time other than rereading The L-Shaped Room and its sequels every now and then. Uh, but I bought this probably when I was about 18, uh, and it's uh, a woman who's in some ways quite similar to the heroine of the L-shaped room. She um, doesn't get on with her parents. She goes off to London to be independent. In her case, she wants to be an actress, actor, I should say. Um, she gets, yeah, things go awry for her, and I was really enjoying it. I, I love the way she writes. And then she moved to Nigeria, and if you're worried about there being racist elements of the L-shaped room, you don't want to go near the warning bell. It was, oh. yeah. And the thing, I mean, I, I think we maybe disagreed on this, but in the L-shaped room, I felt like the Jane started being, well, started off being racist, learned that she was wrong to be racist. In this novel, it seems just like the narrator is racist. It doesn't, it's not really a character thing. So, yeah, it's been quite uncomfortable. But she's moved back from Nigeria now, so I'm hoping um, it will stop. That's yeah. interesting. Yeah, most of our novels end up with people moving to kibbutzes. Kibbutz, I don't know what the plural of kibbutz is, but uh, Lindbergh Banks herself moved to kibbutz. Did she? 
Yeah, so maybe that'll come. There's still I've still got half a novel left, so but maybe we shall move to a kibbutz later. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I feel like I should try again. I mean, I did love. I'm. I'm just trying to think of the, what the books by her I used to. The Indian in the cupboard. Yes, which I loved as a child. I assume is not called the Indian in the cupboard anymore. The Native American in the cupboard, perhaps. Yeah. Um, yes, and the farthest away mountain, farthest away mountain. I loved as well. I mean, a very um, diverse writer, actually. Um, yeah, she was. That. Yeah, because she was one of those sorts of yeah, Margaret Drabble, Margaret. I can't think of any others. All those people who are writing sort of mis slightly hysterical, slightly miserable, but very entertaining novels in the uh, in sixties, seventies London, and then she became a more, more of a children's writer. Yeah. It was, it's very, yeah, it makes a very interesting comparison with The Millstone by Margaret Drabble. Sorry, The Arshate Roomwood. Maybe one day we will. Wow. One day. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. So I suppose we've got to move on now to our nature reading. Yes, yeah, so to the topic suggested by Rosemary. Thank you very much, Rosemary. Mm, thanks, Rosemary. Thanks for pe- all, all topic suggestions. Always welcome, by the way. Always gratefully received. up with them, aren't they? <laughs> no uh, yes, teaallbooks at gmail.com. Do get in touch. Um, and as we discussed this, you said that you were quite the expert, so I'm hoping you have well, plenty I, more to say than me. That is not accurate. <laughs> I, said, I, I would not call myself an expert. Um, I enjoy reading about nature a lot. Um, and I think when you grow up and live in a city, you uh, perhaps tend to romanticise country life a little bit, Um, and because I don't have knowledge of the countryside or knowledge of natural phenomenon um, in a way that people might have if they've grown up around it, I like to fill fill in the gaps, and I'm quite interested in nature as, a, a contemplative place and a healing mm. place um, but I'm also interested in learning more about um, the natural environment and, and how to help it so I, I find nature writing interesting because certainly in the last few years there's been a real renaissance I think in mm. writing mm. about nature and not just writing about you know factually about nature but also lots of, of memoirs and stories about people's relationship with nature and lots of stuff where people have been through difficult times and you know being in nature has has helped them so i know that there's those um two books the salt path and where she just came out with a new one I, which i forget um, yes mm, can't remember either but it's got it's got yeah. almost exactly the same cover yes it does isn't it it's not <laughs> yeah. helpful that they keep doing that they'll just sort of blend into one um about a woman who um lost everything in her life you know her partner was diagnosed with with a terminal illness and they lost their home and they decided well let's just walk the south coast walkway to sort of you know let's just do this we've always wanted to do it we've got nothing now to hold us to anywhere let's go so it's the um what's it called the south the south part southwest coast pass or something oh yeah the um what is it called my dad the my dad walked quite a lot of it the other, other year. Yeah, the, the, the South Coast Path, I don't know. Yeah. What's her name? Ray, Ray something? Ray Wynn, I want to say. That sounds about right. Something yeah. about that. Anyway, you'll look it up and put it in the thing, won't you? I will, yeah. Um, and so the South West Coast Path, for people who don't know, and we could be calling it by the wrong name, but <laughs> people will know what we mean. It goes all the way through sort of Dorset, Devon, Cornwall, the beautiful South Coast of England, and... It's a long, long, long trip and, you know, it takes weeks to walk and is often quite difficult terrain. And reading books like that where people... It's a bit like that um, the film with Reese Witherspoon's at Wild, it's called, where she mm. walks through the, it's a book the as Appalachian... Well, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's a book as well. She does through the Appalachian Trail, is that what she... I've not seen it, actually. Um, well, she does one of the trails in America, I mean, of which there are multitude, much more so than in, in the UK, mm-hmm. I would imagine. I, I feel like it's the Appalachian Trail, but I, I could be wrong, so somebody please feel free to correct me. Um, and I find those sorts of books where people kind of absent themselves from all of the noise that goes on in the world and, and they kind of come back to nature and 
they mm. realize what's important and i think there's lots of books about that now there's a real seems to be a real appetite for people to read them lots of books to do with also farming um to do with you know working on the land or mm. living on the land living you know um off grid and things like that um so those sorts of books really appeal to me and i've i've really enjoyed um reading quite a few of them actually um and can you think of others that you've read yeah i really enjoyed um oh gosh i can't remember names of anything really. <laughs> I, i've stopped working for a few for a few weeks on my brain atrophies um <laughs> i really enjoyed h is for hawk which is um was very popular a few years ago yeah hello mcdonald oh uh, well rachel you seem to be wanting to me talk about birds <laughs> maybe compare them to horses <laughs> I hate birds. I have a phobia of birds. Oh, that was an interesting choice of book to read then. Well, because it was really, it's really a book about grief, isn't it? And I haven't read it, but yes. Oh, right. Well, yeah. I mean, it's essentially it's a book about grief. She decides to train this hawk um, in the wake of losing her father. And because her father loved hawks, I think that's the, the connection, if I remember right. And she writes about T.H. White's The Goshawk in it, doesn't yeah. she, as well? Yeah. And I think, well, potentially that was her father's favourite book, I think. Because mm-hmm. I read um, uh, Pilgrim Hawk by Glenway Westcott at the time when a lot of people were reading H's for Hawk, and it was interesting how hawks were ever at the moment, which is a fascinating novel about how a hawk basically breaks up a marriage. But oh, right. Interesting. Not, an, not a nature book. No, well, no. <laughs> but, I mean, that book, again, was, was a wonderful exploration of how you know, inter- interacting with animals and nature mm-hmm. can help you to get out with yourself and give you, I suppose, a different perspective on things. Because I think one of the things that makes modern life so challenging is that we are cut off from nature and we're cut off from the rhythm of the seasons and the rhythm, natural rhythm of, of the of kind of, yeah, of the seasons and the changing times of the year, you know, we can eat food, whatever food we like, mm. whenever we want. Um, you know, we artificially heat our homes, all those sorts of things, and so you do get cut off from that. And I think that's a real. I mean, I see it all the time whenever I go into bookshops. There's always loads and loads and loads of books and books being advertised about it. Mm. So obviously, picking up on something. And beautiful cover designs. Really, the ones I. So yeah, they always seem to have tables of really lovely looking books. Yeah, and um, I also really have an obsession with reading about stuff to do with the sea. I'm obsessed with the sea. Okay. I love the beach. And um, one of my favourite books is nature books is the, Pebble, the Pebbles on the Beach by Clarence Ellis, which is a book all about the different pebbles that you will find on beaches. Oh, wow. um, beautiful drawings. And he explains where they come from, what different types of you know, stone they are, what sort of journey they would have been on, and also what function they have. And it sounds like it's really boring, but um, it's actually really, really fascinating to think about the journey that these stones have been on when they arrive on the beach and how they've been smooth mm-hmm. over time and where they might have come from originally, how far they might have travelled. Um, and, yeah, it's, it's, it's really lovely. And if you're interested in like going to the beach once you've read the book and you've seen the different types of pebbles there are, it kind of opens your eyes to when you're on a beach and you can identify all these different things and it comes alive to you in a way that it doesn't before. You know, there's not just stones anymore. These are little vessels of experience that otherwise you wouldn't have. Mm. Um, and I also love books about trees. I'm obsessed with trees. <laughs> um, and there's a wonderful book called The Hidden Life of Trees. Um, which explains all of the processes that are happening inside the tree. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Uh, so, like, how the bark is formed, what's how how the, the tree is sort of drinking inside, what happens when birds nest in it, all that sort of thing. It's it's wonderful. You know, some people believe that they can hear the trees talking. You know, all the tree. Herbic- Judy Dench believes that. Yeah. <laughs> Good old Judy. I watched the um, documentary of Judy Dench and trees. Oh, did she? It sounded like it was made up by some satirist, but it was actually a genuine thing shown at Christmas a couple years ago. Well, I mean, it's... And, you know, there's this forest bathing, very popular in Japan, apparently. 
uh, where you go and, you know, you just go and sit in a forest and you allow yourself to just kind of be immersed in the greenery and they call it forest bathing. There's actually like, there's a term for it. I can't remember what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, books like that I really enjoy. Um, right. Should I jump in for respond to some yeah. of those things? Because I'm making some notes. Uh, yeah, in, I've got the soul path borrowed from a friend that I've not read, but I read um, the electricity of of every living thing by Catherine May, that I think probably suffered by coming out at the same time, and the soul path was much more popular. But it's basically a very similar thing, and that she decides to walk the southwest coast path um, as a way of coming to terms with being diagnosed with autism as an adult. Oh, um, interesting. Yeah, and she does lots of camping and things. She's got a husband and at least one child, possibly more, um, who sometimes come and sometimes don't. But it was, as you say, with many of those books, interesting how um, she she merged observing nature and spending time with nothing to do or no no plan other than just going forward in nature um, to deal with something that she was finding difficult. And I think... I'm much less well-read in this area than you, but it does seem to me that you you get fewer straightforward um, nature books of people just going and observing and writing about nature, and it does seem to be more tied up with the personal and mm. with... I mean, I know it's a very overdone term of like people's journeys, emotional journeys, but I think that is what is happening in in many types of non-fiction writing now. It does, narrative non-fiction does seem to have taken over, when I, which I think is great, because I love it. Um and a similar one is, uh, in some ways, um, is Bleaker House by Nell Stevens. Do you know that? Yes, I've heard of it. I've not read it, but I know. Yeah, it's sort of incidentally, I, I guess, about nature. But she, um, Nell Stevens moves to Bleaker, which is one of the Falkland Islands, to write a novel. And instead ends up writing this book. But um, there's only, for half the year, there's nobody on the island. Half the year, there's one other couple on the island. So there's a lot about oh. the natural environment because she is literally isolated in this place with. I think I'd go mad nature. if I. If that was yeah, yeah, and I think she did a bit, but less than you <laughs> might imagine. <laughs> so I think that was wonderful. Um, and when you were talking about Ages for Hawks, I haven't, I haven't read that, but it did remind me of Ring of Bright Water by Gavin Maxwell, which um, similarly, I guess, is about communing with specific and a specific animal. Um, I don't think at the time he was writing it would have been quite so um, psychologically, like overtly psychologically revealing or emotionally revealing. Um, but you, the subtext is definitely there. I don't know if you've read that. But, no, uh, I haven't. And it's, I enjoyed you know, it. I think it's interesting what you say about the sort of confessional writing and nature because mm. I think for most people, if you read a book about nature or you read a book about animals if you don't have the knowledge to access, like you don't necessarily want to read something that's going to go into minute detail about, you know, scientific processes or, um, you know, natural phenomenon mm-hmm. or like that requires knowledge and understanding that you might not have, for example. Um, and I think these sorts of more confessional books that have become popular are really making reading about nature and finding out more about nature accessible to people who, yeah, yeah. like like me, who don't have the knowledge to be able to understand it in more depth and i should say like i've grew up in village villages i live in a village now uh i don't have any knowledge about nature i it's very very important to me to be near nature and i'm so happy that i am now but it, i i sort of enjoy it with the ignorance that one might you know one doesn't know everything scientifically about one's friends but, but, <laughs> but it doesn't make a difference to how you feel about them so i can't really tell trees apart i can't i don't, can't identify birds my neighbor often asks me if i've seen a insert word here and i have to try and work out if she's talking about a flower or a bird or a butterfly and I'm just, i tend just to say yes now because it's easiest um although and i definitely agree with you even in the countryside the rhythms of the year don't make that much difference except you have to add at least 10 minutes to every journey time at the moment because it's harvest and the tractors yeah. do not go fast. So I was late for work this morning because I was stuck behind a tractor. That's so. a pretty good reason to be late for work. <laughs> they do not go above 30 miles an hour, let me tell you. Um, <laughs> uh, how do you decide, 
because it sounds like you've got quite a wide interest in in nature and i'd like to hear what you were saying about the sea but uh but yeah how do you decide what to pick up are there particular authors you go to do you look for recommendations or is it just anything no, because I mean, I don't really know the I don't know authors in the sort of nature writing world. I don't kind of have them in my mind in the way that I would a fiction writer. So I just, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm quite cover led, I have to say. And as you've mentioned before, they they do tend to have quite nice covers. Um, but it's also I'm interested in in what the story is. So if it's about somebody overcoming something through nature, then I might be vaguely interested. Um, but it would have to be set in a part of the country I was interested in reading about. So I've got an affection for Devon, so I and Cornwall. So anything written about that intrigues me. If somebody was writing about, I don't know, walking around the Midlands or something, I might feel more <laughs> inclined to read. As someone who grew up in Worcestershire, I am very offended. By this. <laughs> <I'm sorry. laughs> and in fact, because uh, I like is... to read about the sea. Yeah. There's a series of um, books that have been reprinted by Slightly Foxed, which, I've, oh, I now can't remember who they're by, John something, which are all around the Breeden area, which is the village next to the one I grew up in. He calls it something else, but um, but I loved that because he was ri- literally writing about a hill that I've been up hundreds of times. So, um, yeah, that was very special. And in the Midlands, but nowhere near the sea. No, the sea for me is a big, big calling point. But I'm also... I, I like reading um, books and I'm attracted to books about parts of nature that I don't know very much about. So I've currently got my eye on, but I'm hopeful that my brother-in-law has a copy because he loves all this kind of stuff, um, of a book about fungi <laughs> and how everything is dependent on fungi. I thought your viaduct interest made you a nerd, but um, anyway. Listen, I am a nerd and proud. I have no shame. And actually, for your information, yes. without fungal forms, there would be no life. So, Gracious. Well, certainly not a life worth living. No. <laughs> so it's it's really interesting, um, apparently, because it's all about how fungi underpin the, you know, the, the basically the nature around them. So how they, I don't know. No, you need to read the book. Yeah, I just draw. I need to read the book and find out. I'm gonna see whether my brother-in-law has it, so I can borrow it off him. I'm sure, he does. Um, and also stuff to do with foraging, I'm quite into. Of course, you are. Also, because my brother-in-law is a forager, so not officially, but like he knows all the stuff. He grew up in the countryside. He knows everything. So um, I often, when I go and go there, then we'll go out for a walk, and he can explain what everything is and. Um, at the moment, the only thing I can definitely identify without killing myself is wild garlic. Um, <laughs> yes, you're pretty safe there. You can smell it from about a mile yeah, off. Yeah, exactly. Don't you? <laughs> like, yeah, that's fine. That's definitely that. I would have you made wild garlic pesto yet? I have. Delicious. Nice. But yeah. I, I feel like I would never be confident enough to mushroom pick. I'm like, I yeah, I think absolutely. Myself. Like, Wells mushrooms still cost like 89p a box in Sainsbury's. I'm not going to risk killing myself by foraging. Exactly. Um, but yeah, that interests me as well. The idea of being able to identify what's out there beyond, you know, wild garlic and blackberries. Um, and, you know, to, if there was some kind of disaster and I was the last person living on Earth in a tent, could I feed <laughs> myself? At the moment, no. But if I read a book about foraging, I'd like to feel like it. So it's good to so it sounds like you're, Yeah, it sounds like you're quite attracted to both the very sort of fact-heavy or like fact-forward books and also the more narrative-driven ones. Yeah, I mean, I'm not fussy, really. Because <laughs> I think I'm definitely not very interested in the, in the ones that are mostly factual or mostly informative, and I'm much more interested in the ones that are about people's emotional reaction to the countryside or even if it's not i was thinking when we did adrian bell's books a while ago then he's very practical so it's not just an emotional thing but i do i think for me it's always going to be humans being the most interesting part of nature and if it's and the focus (laughs) being on the human interacting with nature is great but i'm still probably more interested uh in the in the human response maybe which is fair enough it's a way of thinking isn't it because i mean as as some of these books, particularly the ones that were more observational, as we've talked about many times on, on the podcast, don't have a visual uh, reading brain. Um, so if it's a book that's just describing 
what things look like, then it's yeah useless to me. So I'm much more there about what, describing how it affects the person observing. Well, that's fair enough, I think. I mean, I, that's, that's my preference as well, really, but I do still like finding out things. Yeah. The most recent book I got was an encyclopedia of British spiders, which... Mm is unexpected for anyone who knows me because I am very arachnophobic, but I'm also in the middle of um, cognitive behavioral therapy to stop being arachnophobic. Part of it was getting this book. Yeah. I'm getting there. I can't believe I'm looking at pictures of them because I would never have believed I'd ever be able to do that. So you're that frightened of them. Oh, I couldn't say the word spider until a couple months ago. So um, apologies if we have any listeners who don't like the word, but what what happened if, if, if one came into your house, what, what, what would you do? Uh, hyperventilate. And then eventually, I guess I'd try and kill it. And then I'd drink a lot of wine. So um, not really a <laughs> a helpful way of dealing with life. But getting a cat was very useful for not having to deal with it. Oh, yeah. So he, t- he tends to deal with them for me. Wow. Um, but yeah. Um, I don't know if I'll keep this book but it's a book I never thought I'd buy and I can't honestly recommend I've not read anything in it yet but it's also got lots of facts if I wanted to learn those at some point Um, and I was opening the book and and sort of looking at it for two minutes while I was hyperventilating but you know, well no I'm not hyperventilating but it's not something I enjoy doing but but it's helpful and it's good to know your enemy right? Exactly. I highly recommend cognitive behavioural therapy to anyone, particularly if you're in the UK and it's free. That's that's very that's yeah, it's very good. I'm good that it's free. Maybe I should yeah. do it. My fear of birds. I, Normally, yeah. I just squeal and run away. <laughs> I'll put you uh, in touch with with my my guy. <laughs> right. Uh, so, nature writing, yes or no? Yes, from me. And it's one of those ones where if one were to look at my list of books I've read in the past 10 years, it would look like I would say no. But I think it's only because, as you were saying, I just feel so ignorant about what is in front of me on a nature writing table and what sort of books will suit me and which won't, that I just really don't get any further than that. But um, I'm going to say yes, because the spirit is willing and the flesh is weak. There we are. Um, Rosemary is really holding this podcast together because she's also given us a question for the middle section. <gasps> Thanks, Rosemary. Yeah, which um, is which is our favourite Margarita Lasky book? Oh, do you know what? That's a bit of a coincidence because I was talking. I went to the theatre this afternoon with a friend because I can do that. Hmm. Um, and she had said, she said, "Oh, I've just ordered Margarita Lasky for village to read," um, uh. and. I said, well, you should have said, because I was just lent my copy. But um, then we were talking, and she said, I bought it because I, I loved Little Boy Lost so much, which I recommended to her. And, uh. yes, so it's interesting. I think a lot of people tend to come to Margarita Lost through Little Boy Lost first, don't they? And then they sort of mm. move on to the others. I mean, Little Boy Lost is amazing and heartbreaking and wonderful. Um, but all of her novels are so different to one another. That's something really that I find... So interesting about her as a novelist that every book is nothing like the one you've read before, and um, yeah, no indication of, of what to expect. Basically, um, oh, it's going to be hard. My favourite. Hmm. Do you do you say what yours is there? Well, I say we've done quite a few of them in different episodes. I don't think, I don't think we've ever done two against each other, but we have done Little Boy Last, and the, I think we've done the Victorian Chase Long. We've done the Village, possibly some others. Yeah. Uh, to bed with grand music maybe i don't know we've done a lot um and i think my favorite and you're right they're all so different my favorite i think is the village um it's because i mean it's it's exactly my sort of thing looking at a village community and the different echelons and how they interact it's set just after oh no thank you pussycat let's get you out of the way um set just after the second world war in fact it the it opens with the last sort of is it fire watching or or yeah, there's a, there's a there's a I guess upper middle class lady and maybe lower middle class slash working class lady who have both been in the volunteer volunteering together and they realise it's the, not only the last time they'll be doing that but probably the last time they'll be able to meet as equals and it's all the stuff I love like you know, class and gender in a small community and um, she does it so well um, yeah Victorian days long very high up there but I think that's I think the village snares it for me gosh 
Um, I think for me, I really love the Beverly Graham music, actually. Mm. I think it's it's very thought-provoking and very well-written and a very different view of life during World War II with somebody who's not remotely patriotic um, and uses the war as an opportunity to basically please herself. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's quite... Um, but I think for me, I would have to go with Little Boy Lost because I think it's one of the most heartbreaking and beautiful books I've ever read. There you go. Yeah. Um, short segment, but uh, hopefully, I don't know how many you've read Rosemary, but um, maybe some guidance there. But you can't, I, don't, I haven't read any that I didn't like. Um, I think I've read all of her books, actually. Yes, I think I might have done as well. Um, yes, because Tori Heaven, I've read that, and... Uh, Love on the Super Tax. Yeah, I've heard that too. Um, I don't, can't think of any others, so maybe we've done more. Maybe we've done it. Lasky complete us. Um, yeah. Well, in the f- final section, Rachel, do you want to explain your idea? Yes. Yeah. So, uh, because I haven't had time to reread books, he's very funny. I did say. I suggested to Simon, as it is the week of the Women's Prize, um, we could each of us choose our favourite prize-winning book by a female author and then Simon suggested why don't we choose our favourite three books by a prize-winning author and I said okay so that's what we're doing um, and Simon has said he's going to attempt to do a book three books with from three different prizes yeah. I don't know whether I will be as successful in being as diverse as that but I'll let you start as you've got your ideas ready probably I have, um, and I well, should confess they're not actually my three favourite prize-winning women authored books, but they're three three books I really like who've won prizes. Uh, and I'll start with perhaps my most predictable one because it is Women's Prize for Fiction. Um, I'll start with one that won that in 2009, which was Home by Marilyn Robinson. I knew you were going to choose that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> very predictable. My other two are a little, a little... Well, actually, no, they're not that unpredictable, but... Um, for for those who don't know, and I'm sure most of you do by now, it's uh, in the Gilead series. It's uh, parallel to the events of Gilead, it's a, uh, the novel. Uh, it's a small community of two ministers and their family's home is at the family of um, something Broughton. John? No, not John Broughton. Maybe he is John Broughton. Yeah. No, he's not. The other guy's John Ames. So, something Broughton. John. Robert Broughton. Um. Who knows? I've read it twice, I should know. But... Um, and the return of the prodigal son, I guess, the, the son Jack, who um, has always rebelled. Uh, and there's another woman living at home, another daughter, rather, living at home, whose name I can't remember, who stayed throughout um, and is a little bitter about that. But anything anything I say about the characters is too simplistic for the amount of detail and nuance and complexity that Marilyn Robinson can bring to any character and she should win every prize out there. I, I don't think she's actually won that many prizes. Um, but she did get acknowledged for Home, the second in the series, although they're not really in the series. Um, I don't think, when we did our Marilyn Robinette episode, I'm pretty I think sure they, she won the Pulitzer Prize. She has won the Pulitzer, I'll give her that. <laughs> but I just think, why is she not bringing the Booker? I suppose yeah. she's only been eligible for the Booker for Jack, because American authors weren't eligible before Jack, were they? But, um, no. Also, she should have won for all the, the Women's Prize for all the other novels. She should have won everything. <laughs> but, yeah. But when we, on our Marilyn Robinson episode, we did Gilead versus Jack, I believe. So we did talk about Home, but we, we didn't put it front and centre. But I know it's uh, uh, one you love as well. It's my favourite of the series, actually. Yeah. Um, okay, so that's your first, is it? That's my first. Do you want to go for one? Yeah. So... My first one, and the most recent one, is um, the Booker Prize winner from a couple of years ago now, which is Girl, Woman, Other by Bernadine Evaristo. Uh, yes, and I left that off my list because I thought you would probably choose it. <laughs> oh, there we go. Um, which I just thought was absolutely wonderful. It's the uh, interconnected stories of several, I think, 12 women, um, all of them black women who live in London, and it's set over different periods of time and some of the characters are known to each other and some of the characters aren't and it's just about these women living their lives and 
experiencing, um, you know, different periods of time and different struggles at different periods of time, both in their personal lives, but also in their professional lives, um, and how society as a whole kind of holds them back or supports them or encourages them. And yeah, it's a wonderful, really, I, I think, um, empowering book in that it's a book about women and about women's lives in a way that's very much it's not about anything it's not trying to be mm. um you know like sometimes you read books like that and it's it's like you feel like you're having a message pushed at you this is just exploring what it's like to be a woman um and in the sense of just looking at women living their lives without it trying to um make a, a kind of shoehorn in into like you know not every i feel like other books at the moment like it's all about sexual assault and all that kind of thing and this isn't about that it's just about watching women trying to make a life for themselves doing different things and being ordinary um i mean obviously there are people in the book who, who are well known who have success and whatever but i'm probably explaining this badly i'm trying uh, to and read the sexual assault in it yes um, but if it's not about you know yeah, but it's, yeah. it's not about it's, trauma. It's not about yeah, yeah. the trauma of being a woman. It's it's about you know celebrating the mm. everyday achievements and life and challenges and things of, of just you know being a person really. And I found it very unexpectedly brilliant. And because I'd never come across Bernadine Everest's work before, I love her writing style. It's so kind of almost poetic. Um, and yeah, just I thought it was an absolutely brilliant book that also made made me see the world in a different way. And I think you can't ask for much more than that from the book. Yeah, and yeah, we did an ep- did an episode on it a few episodes ago, didn't we? Maybe yeah. maybe ten episodes ago or something. I should say before someone emails us, uh, the women are not, or well, the characters are not all black and not all women, but it is almost all black women. <laughs> Um, not? I there's one that. one white woman and one non-binary black person. Oh right, okay, sorry, it's been a while yes. since I've read it. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and I think when we discussed it, you hadn't read any others of hers, but we're going, we're thinking of going and getting some others. I don't know if that, if you did read any more by her. Yeah, I haven't got around to it yet, but it will happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's, it's one where I read. <laughs> it's late. It's one where I read the. Uh, or I listened to the audiobook, so I didn't, yes, know about all the form uh, of, of how yes, it's laid out like poetry. Yes, the it's sort of blank yeah. verse. Yeah, um, I, I also think it's wonderful for a bit... Oh, sorry. My no, you keep going. Go, go, go. Um, I was just going to say, I think it's also really wonderful to have a book by a black writer about black women um, that is a book that's mainstream and is had so much success because... Mm-hmm. I feel like normally, uh, I think books about the black lived experience can be marginalised often. And you know, as Bernadine Everisto herself said, you know, she's the first black woman to win a prize. And you know, in twenty twenty, was it twenty nineteen? Twenty twenty twenty? I can't remember. Twenty nineteen. Oh, I think. Twenty nineteen. Um, yeah. Yeah, and, and and even then, she had to share the prize with Margaret Atwood. Um, Boo. Which is not, very not booing Margaret Atwood, booing the judges there. <laughs> yes, I mean, I just thought that was a totally inappropriate decision. But it's, I think, for somebody like me who I, I don't read massively um, outside of, you know, my own experiences sometimes, and I am aware of that. And for me, it was a really wonderful opportunity to read about people whose lives have been different to mine because of, because of, and, um, for me, I think a lot of my friends and who, who read it said the same, and they felt like, oh, actually, you know, this is something I need to read more of. And I think Bernadine Everest has done a great job in, um, you know, making books that you know would otherwise have been marginalised come more to the fore. I think her, all of her backlist has been republished and put into different, you know, matching covers and whatever. But now, say so her work is more accessible. Yeah, and I think she. Um is the editor of a series from a publisher as well that I, I don't know which publisher it is, but she's been choosing uh, books, I think mostly by black women, to come back into print. Um, yes, she's yeah. also the, um, the spokesperson for the Literature in Colour um, 
scheme from Penguin that's kind of pushing to get more books by writers of colour into schools, which is great. So, hmm. um, yeah, so she's, she's wonderful and her writing is brilliant. And I will read more of her <laughs> and other stuff needs to happen. Fab. Well, my second one, uh, I've gone from an author you love to one I know you don't like. In the James Tate Black Memorial Prize of 1955, uh, Mother and Son by Ivy Compton Burnett. Yeah. <laughs> and I love the James Tate Black Memorial Prize list. I think it's really, so it goes back to the 20s, I think, or late 10s, maybe. A really interesting list. Not not that many women writers winning it in the first years, but... Um, that probably says more about the, the judges than it does about the literature being produced. Uh, Mother and Son was the first Ivy Carter Burnett novel I read, and she has ever since been one of my favourite writers. I don't re- remember actually a lot about the plot of this book, but the plot is never particularly important uh, in, an, in an Ivy Carter Burnett novel, although she would disagree with that. She thought she did wonderful plots. Uh, it's mostly the very eccentric style. It's always all dialogue. It's always people arguing about things for pages and pages in in the sort of language people would never actually use and then quietly someone gets murdered or there's incest or something that's in any other novelist's hands would be the focal point of the scene is sort of tidied away in a corner uh, the thing i really remember about mother and son is that there was a wonderful cat in it oh hey. that would be the thing that you would remember <laughs> it was because cats in fiction are often misunderstood not done correctly if someone can write a cat well then I'm, then i'm in i mean anything you want to say no don't great <laughs> um my second choice is another book of prize winner from um 1987 i think um which is moon tiger by Penelope Lively, mm. which i don't know if you've read it I haven't. I've got it, and I've read a few by her, but not that one. It's absolutely marvellous. It's one of the most um, beautifully written books I've read in the last few years. And I'm not like you. I'm not really a big reader of books between sort of 1960 and 1990-ish. Um, mm. And this is a book I actually read for a book club that I set up at my school. Um, I chose that, so that's the club that I can get along on board with. Um, <laughs> and I was just blown away by how magnificent it was. It's so evocative. It's about a woman's life, basically. She's on her deathbed, and uh, you know, that can often feel a bit of a cliche, but it's dealt with so well. And she's a very complex, challenging woman who's not very easy to like. And gradually, as the novel progresses and you learn more about her life, you realise why she is the way she is and it's just heartbreaking and beautiful and so uh, wonderfully like the, the, the descriptions of World War Two in Egypt are just incredible and it's an absolutely fantastic book. I highly recommend it. Mm, I have to pick it off the shelf sooner rather than later. Yes, you are. Uh, my third one is the Costa Novel Prize winner from 1977, uh, Injury Time by Beryl Bainbridge. Ah, famously uh, nominated for the Booker Prize five, six times without winning. At one point she was the most nominated author who hadn't won. She might still be. Um, Injury Time, it might have been the first Bainbridge novel I read. I read a few for a Beryl Bainbridge reading week that Annabelle, um, Annabelle's House of Books used to run. Um, and it's very funny. It's uh, It's very 1970s. It's about this dinner party that is quite like Abigail, the party in Abigail's party, uh, except in the middle of all this sort of gossiping and, you know, olives and stuff, uh, there's a hostage situation. So someone someone comes in and takes them hostage. So it is ridiculous in many ways. Beryl Bainbridge, like many authors that I like, always writes in a relatively matter-of-fact way about very bizarre circumstances that's this is of the novels i've read by her perhaps the most bizarre although another part of the woods um isn't that far off uh and i think it's yeah it's like a th- it's like a thriller but it's funny and the stakes are high within the context of the novel but not that high as a reader if that makes sense i i didn't really care what happened to yeah. them but i did really enjoy 
uh, reading it and um, it's unhinged essentially. Uh, have you read any Bell Bainbridge? You know what? I never have, no. Hmm. I think, I don't know if this would be your favourite of her. I think Sweet William you'd like a lot. Okay, I've got nothing by her actually. One day. She top- yeah, she, she sort of halfway through her career stopped writing contemporary novels and started writing historical novels, and obviously I've not read any of those. So you might prefer those. <laughs> um, yeah, she, <laughs> she wrote about the Titanic and about Hitler and about... Not in the same book. Um, uh, I forget the <laughs> others, but yeah. yeah. Oh, um, sounds interesting to look at. And not sort of thing I'd imagine would win the cost of novel prize now, but um, maybe I'm misjudging it. It seems to become much more sort of mainstream. I think I would say yes, more popular for sure. Yeah, yeah. It's not like to get experimental stuff winning. No. Or disconcerting stuff. Disconcerting is a good word for injury time, actually. Okay. Um, I can't remember why it's called injury time. Anyway. Uh, What's your final one? Um, My final one is is also a Costa um, book, uh, Costa Prize winning book, can't speak. (laughs) <laughs> um, which is Life After Life by Kate Atkinson, which, uh, which we did in the same episode as, our, as oh. um, Girl Woman other other a while ago. Oh, did we? Okay, yeah, I mean, my memory's terrible. Um, and that won the prize in t- 2013, so it's fairly recent as well. And it's, I mean, I could have chosen more obvious choices. I was going to say Margaret Up, but I thought, you know what, I'm going to go for something different. Um, oh. Life After Life is the story of a woman called Ashley Todd who when she dies, is able to start her life again, as if what just happened never happened. Um, and it sets, uh, starts in the sort of Edwardian period and moves through to the war, and it's just the most brilliant, heart-bending, well-written, well-characterised book. I mean, I just love Kate Atkinson. I've read pretty much all of her books now, um, and I love her she writes a series of a Jackson Brody series of like mystery books, which are fantastic. Um, and then she's also written Life After Life and its sequel, which is called A God in Ruins, which is also magnificent. In fact, I think A God in Ruins might even be better than Life After Life in some elements, mm-hmm. some aspects. Um, she's also her first book is um, uh, Behind the Scenes at the Museum, which is excellent. And they also have won a prize. Um, mm. So yeah, it's really good. It's proper, like really well written contemporary literary fiction that's enjoyable to read, that's absorbing, that's engrossing, that isn't filled with loads of you know complicated creative writing degree prose, and is just yeah a really good book and a fantastic story and fantastic characters. And if you want to find out which book Rachel and I preferred from two of her choices, <laughs> you can find out in that essay. I, I can't remember, to be honest, but, uh, but the answer is there. Um, yeah, that was a fun thing to do. And yes, uh, we did a whole episode as well on do prizes affect uh, our choice of reading. So you can go back and find that somewhere if you'd like to hear more of us talking about literary prizes. Yeah, we've, I think probably one of those subjects I had a lot of opinions about. <laughs> is there one where you didn't <laughs> somebody uh, um, see if I can find it uh, someone sent a very nice message about how much they're enjoying the book she's um, she's oh, she's called can read will read on Instagram but I don't know her actual name uh, and so sent some very nice things about how much she liked it and said also loving Rachel's strong opinions which, oh, I, <laughs> which I enjoyed I'm glad so, someone likes my strong opinions. <laughs> I love your strong opinions. I wouldn't want it any other way. Um, they are often unexpected and wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, otherwise, it would be a very lukewarm podcast, wouldn't we? Um, well, it was. Yeah. <laughs> well, there we are. Great. And well, a different we had... format today, but we managed. It was, controversially. Uh, and we, we weren't promise anything but i'm hoping the next episode will have a different format as well and that we're hoping uh rachel's going to come visit my flat and will and she'll be looking around my my bookcases um we did an episode a while ago where i looked at rachel's and it was really fun so we're doing it the other way around we probably won't do all the bookcases because there's a lot of them but (laughs) we'll do some um i'm planning on um, doing a little culling while i'm there 
<laughs> I'm going to be frisking you on the way out, making sure you've not <laughs> stolen anything. <laughs> uh, yes, we're, hopefully we'll do that as long as we don't all go back into lockdown or something. But oh well, that's no, that surely that won't happen. Uh, I mean, Boris Johnson said the other day it wouldn't, which has never made me more confident that it would. But um, yeah, it will end on a note of political cynicism. <laughs> Um, <laughs> thank you so much for listening uh, we will be back in some form or other in the next episode and don't forget to send in your questions for episode 100 which you can do to teaorbooks at gmail.com bye Fabulous. bye thank you